The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Not this type of footprint that you would leave in the mud on a rainy day, but you have an ecological footprint. Maybe you have heard this phrase, but uh, this phrase came about in the 90s, and it was used to talk about the impact that we leave on nature, the impact that we leave on earth. There was actually a book written um, by this man named William Reese, and it was titled, Our Ecological Footprint, Reducing Human Impact on Earth. You can actually go to a website and take answer 27 questions to find out what is your ecological impact on the earth. Are you consuming more resources than the earth can produce? And so the big goal for us, for each of us, according to this theory, is that we would reduce our ecological footprint, that we would reduce our impact on this earth. Today, we're not going to talk about our ecological footprint, but our evangelistic footprint. And we're not seeking to reduce our impact, but to increase our impact on the world around us. And so let me ask you this question. How big is your evangelistic footprint? If you were to quit your job tomorrow, how big of an evangelistic footprint would you have left at your workplace? If you were to move out of your house tomorrow, how big of an evangelistic footprint have you left in your neighborhood? If you were to graduate tomorrow, how big of an evangelistic footprint have you left in your school. That's what we're going to be looking at today. If you would, please open your Bibles to John chapter 4, and we're going to look at three people and their evangelistic footprint. If you're in the Red Bible, it's page 889. If you are in the Children's Bible, it's page 1306. We're continuing the story of the woman at the well. Uh, We talked about two weeks ago when I preached last. You may remember Just to give you a refresher, Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee with his disciples. He sends them into town and he stays at this well called Jacob's Well, where we get our church name from. And he sits there and a Samaritan woman comes along and he has a discussion with her. And he shares what is the content of evangelism. He shares the gift of Christ. He shares her need of Christ. And he shares God's provision of Christ. But the conversation continues. The woman is deeply impacted. And we're going to see now. So the first section of this, the first act of this story, is Jesus encountering this woman. And the second part of this is the woman engaging the world. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you would look at John 4, we'll start in verse 25 just to overlap a little bit. And then we'll read through verse 42. John 4, 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word today, as we come together today at Jacob's will, may we too encounter you. And may our encounter with you today, as we understand and grasp that you are the Savior of the world, that you are the Savior of me, that it would spur us to engage the world. Lord, change our hearts, grow us, mold us into the image of Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I realize the topic of evangelism is uncomfortable for many people. It's uncomfortable for non-Christians in many ways because the question is, who are you to tell me what to believe? It's also uncomfortable for Christians for that same reason, but also it's uncomfortable for Christians because we often feel a lot of guilt about it, that we don't do a good job of evangelism. We feel sadness. We feel shame because we don't do it often enough or well enough. And yet, what we so often avoid in our daily life, what we avoid talking about, is something that Jesus draws a laser beam of focus to this morning. Something that he says is important to his mission, to his enterprise upon the earth. It's important to reap the souls of those who are to come to Christ. But it's also important for your soul as the one who shares the good news. Jesus actually says here in verse 34, he says, my food, my sustenance, my nutrition is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so here's what this means. If you're here today and you feel spiritually weak, spiritually malnourished, spiritually anorexic, it could be because you are not eating the food of the Father. You are not doing the will of God. You are not reaping the harvest he calls us to. And so my prayer is that this morning, this would spur in us a great desire and courage and boldness to go and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. 
There are three things we're going to look at this morning. First is the priority of faithful evangelism. Jesus does this little teaching that we're going to look at. Secondly, the fire for faithful evangelism. What would give us the motivation to go and to tell others about Christ? And finally, the harvest of faithful evangelism. Let's start at the top. The priority of faithful evangelism. In this passage, Jesus takes a moment to teach his disciples and to teach us about sowing seed and reaping a harvest, about evangelism. And Jesus communicates it through a farming illustration, through an agricultural illustration. He talks about sowing and reaping, harvesting, to communicate the truths about evangelism. The first is this. The first he talks about is harvest timing. Verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. In the physical realm, when you plant seeds, whether it be tomato plants or corn or whatever it might be, you plant the seeds, you wait, you let it rain, you let the sun come, and then after a couple of months, you harvest, right? But Jesus is saying that reaping and harvesting, sorry, sowing and reaping go together. They coincide with one another. There is no wait time for this. You know, the disciples were journeying. Do we have the map up here that we can put up? If you remember, Jesus and the disciples were traveling from Judea right here all the way up to Galilee. And they were just passing through Sychar. And so they thought, you know what? This is, evangelism is for a future people at a future place for a future me at a future time. But Jesus says, no, the harvest is right now. And so harvest timing is now that we get to sow and reap with the good news of Jesus Christ right now. The second thing he talks about is not only harvest timing, but harvest rejoicing. If you would look in verse 36, he says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. The joy the rejoicing that accompanies one sinner that repents and trusts in Christ is unprecedented. You can look throughout the scripture to see God's joy when someone comes to faith in Christ. Jesus focuses on this in Luke 15 by telling three parables about the joy and the rejoicing that comes with someone who comes to faith in Christ. The first parable he talks about is parable of a man who has a hundred sheep and one sheep goes astray. And then we read in Luke 15, 5, it says, and when he had found it, he lays it on his shoulders. And then notice the words rejoicing and joy, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. The second parable Jesus goes to is the story of a woman with 10 coins and she loses a coin. And then she finds it, verse nine, it says, and when she found it, she called together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If you are here today, 
if you have repented of your sin, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, did you know that there was a heavenly party for you? That there were angels delighting that you had come to faith in Christ, that you have found new life, that you had been born again, as Jesus says. And so as we get to partner in this glorious mission of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, we get to rejoice with heaven when those who are hear the word are harvested and trust in Christ. And so we see harvest timing. We see harvest rejoicing. And finally, we see harvest partnering. Verse 37. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now, again, when you are sowing seed, typically it is one farmer who sows the seed and it is the same farmer who gathers the harvest. But Jesus is saying here is that is not always the case in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That you may be one who sows the seed or you may be one who harvests. But there are many who sow the good news of Jesus Christ into a person's life. There's an important premise here. Because what we learn is that as we have opportunity to tell others the good news about Jesus, that we are just one part in God's glorious plan to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. An illustration of this for me, it's like a baseball game. In a baseball game, there is occasionally one pitcher who pitches the length of the whole game. That is very rare. Typically, there is an opener There is a reliever, there is a middle reliever, and there is a closer. And these pitchers, uh, they pitch when they're called upon. And then when the game is over and when they win, no matter who throws the last out, they rejoice together. You never know where you are in God's rotation of sowing seed to a person. You might be the first introduction of the gospel to them, of the good news of Jesus. You might be a second person talking to them. You might be the closure. You might get to reap the harvest. And so this is great news because if you tell someone about Jesus and and they dismiss you or they walk away or you never see them again, you still serve an important part in God's eternal plan for that person, trusting that God will bring more people into their life to sow seed and to harvest. I can share a story from my own life. When I was in college, um, I had just become a Christian just before I went off to college, and I was in a fraternity house. And I know this might seem crazy, but the fraternity house was the greatest place of spiritual growth for me in my entire life. And it was because I was continually being able to tell my brothers how much Jesus loves them. And I got to share the gospel with them over and over and over again. And I would bring them to Bible studies, and I'd bring them to church, and I would bring them to the campus ministry, and I would tell them about the love of Jesus. Now, when I left there, I was, I was somewhat discouraged because none of them have seemed to come to faith in Christ at the time I was there. And so I thought, you know what? I'll never be in ministry. <laughs> well, a couple years went by and I would hear through Facebook or through friends of these guys who I had shared Jesus with in college who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. One of the people that was reaping the harvest was my campus minister, Chad Brewer. And so he would share these, share the Lord with these guys and lead them to the Lord. And they would put their trust in Jesus Christ. 
See, I was the opening pitcher for many of these guys. And there was a harvester further down the road. Chad and I joke and we say, you know, the best thing I could have ever done for the kingdom was to get out of there. It was to leave. Because God was bringing more sowers into their life to reap the harvest of eternal life. So we see the priority of evangelism, that the harvest time is right now. It is today that there is harvest rejoicing when someone comes to faith in Christ and that we partner in this harvest as we sow seed liberally to all. Next, we see the fire for evangelism, the fire for faithful evangelism. If you're like me, I do not like confrontation. Um, You know, evangelism is very confrontational, at least in my heart, it feels that way. It doesn't mean you're rude or you're mean or you're angry. But it feels confrontational, doesn't it? To, to, to bring up a spiritual conversation, to talk about the Lord with other people. And so what would it be that would give us the fire to share the good news of Christ that would overcome our fears of acceptance, of love? Well, let's look at, let's look at two people here. First, let's look at the disciples. Verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he, Jesus, was talking with a woman. That was a big no-no in that culture. But no one said, who do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. You can almost picture this, can't you? Here's the woman and Jesus and they're talking. And the disciples come back. They come up the trail. They round it. They're there. And there's this awkward silence, right? Like crickets chirping. And, and, And the woman just gets up and she goes. All right, it continues, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. What a strange response, isn't it? The disciples go and they go to get food for Jesus. And they bring the food back from the town. They walked a half mile to the mile each way to get there. And they bring the food back and they give it to Jesus and say, here's the food that we brought you. And Jesus does not respond by saying, thank you. Jesus responds by rebuking them and saying, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Why would Jesus rebuke them? Well, it's because they were not doing the will of the Father. You see, they went into Sychar and they left no evangelistic footprint at all. They left no spiritual imprint. They did not invite anyone to come and see Jesus. They did not tell anyone about Jesus. They just lived their life, went and got food, went amongst the city, and came out of it. And so Jesus rebukes them, saying, you are not doing the will of my Father. But there is one who does in this story. The tramp, the promiscuous woman, the woman who has gotten around town, who has slept around, who has a bad reputation. Look in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. You know, this is amazing what happens. The woman came out in the noon hour. She came out in the heat of the day because she knew there would be no townspeople around. She knew she would not have to face the glaring looks of the people. Or hear the, hear the mummers under their breath as they talked about her. And so she comes out to this, well, completely ashamed of who she, who she is. 
completely ashamed that she is known as a town tramp. But she encounters Jesus. And she goes back completely unashamed and tells everyone she can to come and meet the Christ. To come and meet the Savior of the world. What was it that transformed her? What was it that gave her such boldness? It was that she had encountered Jesus. The love and the grace and the mercy of Christ who came and told her all of her sin, everything she ever done. And yet says, I have come to give you a gift. I've come to give you living water. I've come to give you myself. I've come to give you eternal life. And she is so transformed by this encounter with Jesus that she boldly goes and tells anyone she can about this man at Jacob's well. So the question is, which of these are you? Are you like the disciples? You follow Jesus. You come to church, maybe read your Bibles, you pray, but you leave no footprint anywhere that you go. If you left your job, your house, whatever it might be, People would say, yeah, you know, they're a church-going person, but they know nothing about Jesus. Or are you like this tramp? And I pray that you are in this one way, that you would be transformed by an encounter with Jesus. And you would go and you tell others, you have to hear about this man, Jesus. You know, the way that this woman shared about Jesus with others, I guarantee you it was not eloquent. She probably had no education. It was probably not the most theologically sound thing that was ever said. The disciples had far more training, but she was transformed by her encounter with Jesus. That's where the fire comes from. As I do ministry, one of the things that becomes more and more evident to me is this, and I have it written up here on the screen. Everyone is an evangelist for what they most unashamedly cherish. Everyone is an evangelist for the thing they most unashamedly cherish. This includes Christian, non-Christians. Everyone is an evangelist for the thing they most unashamedly cherish. Let me break that down a little bit. Everyone is created an evangelist. Why? Because everyone is created in the image of God. God is a proclaimer of God new, good news. God proclaims good news throughout his scripture, through his son, Jesus Christ. God is in the business of proclaiming good news. And as image bearers of God, we too proclaim good news. We proclaim what is the best news in our life. We proclaim that which we unashamedly cherish. You know, we were at Thanksgiving with my family, which is about, I don't know, 30 of us. And uh, we got there early and my dad and his wife got there. And no joking, within the first hour of being there, I think they, they named Costco. Do you, do you guys know what Costco is? Anyone know what Costco is? It's like Sam's Club, but more in the South. They talked about Casco about five times in the first hour. And so the common joke the rest of the weekend was whenever my dad would start a story, we'd say, and then you ended up at Costco and bought such and such, right? He was an evangelist for Costco. He unashamedly cherished it. And that's okay. I mean, I guess it's a great store. I've never been there. But what would your coworkers, what would your neighbors, what would your family members say you cherish? What are you an evangelist for? Maybe the Packers, which is great. In another year, maybe the Badgers, not this year. Maybe you're an evangelist for a movie you just saw or a show you really like. That's okay. But are you an evangelist for Jesus? 
Do you unashamedly cherish him? Do they know how much you love him? Do they know the good news that Jesus Christ has come to earth? That he has come down, that he has died on the cross for your sins and that he lives and he reigns and they can meet Jesus and that they can experience the blessings, the riches that come with Christ. Do they know that of you? Or have you walked away from those relationships, leaving no footprint at all and leaving them void of the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you unashamedly cherish Jesus above all else? If you do, it will overflow into your speech, into your conversations, into your talking. Finally, the harvest of faithful evangelism. Now, before I read this, I want to remind you that the, the 12 disciples of Jesus, the men who have been following Jesus, the churchmen, have just been in the city of Sychar, okay? And then this one woman who has a bad reputation. I mean, what a, what a funny way for God to start a revival, isn't it? I'm going to take the town tramp of a people that nobody respects, of a woman whose, whose, whose testimony isn't even valid in a court, and I'm going to start a revival with her. And that's what happens. Look in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to, this, said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. A few weeks ago, I talked about the Chicago fire, uh, the great Chicago fire. It started on October 10th, 1871. Do any of you know who started the Chicago fire? Do you? Bessie. Bessie. Good job. There are actually several theories. That's the best one. One of the theories is it was a man who was trying to steal milk from a barn, and so he started a fire as a distraction. Another theory is that it was someone who was losing a card game, and so they started a fire to get out of it. But the most unanimous one is that Bessie did it. Miss O'Leary's cow, who tipped over the lantern. And we'll never know for sure who did it. We'll never know for sure who started the fire, but we know how the fire started. The fire started the same way every fire starts. The fire started the same way I started my fire in my fireplace this morning. The fire started with a single spark, a single flame. And from that single spark, it set the whole city ablaze. This woman, this Samaritan woman was a single spark and her town was dry kindling. It was ready to go ablaze. You do not know. I do not know. Maybe our neighborhoods are dry kindling. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. Maybe your workplace is dry kindling. Maybe your family is dry kindling. And with a single spark, a single word about Jesus, it will be set aflame. But there's only one way to find out. <laughs> if we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, what happens here is extraordinary. It is a revival that sweeps across the city of Sychar. This is very unusual, especially in America. It's been happening in China and other places of the world, but it doesn't happen here much right now. But we never know what is dry kindling and what God might do if we just have the boldness of this woman 
to open our mouth and tell others about Jesus. And so God calls us to go and reap the harvest. It might take a day. It might take years. It might take decades. All we are called to do is be faithful to tell others about the Lord. Let me end with this. Our church name, if you did not know yet, is Jacob's Well. Um, I met one couple that came here because they thought our name was Jacob's Ladder. It is not Jacob's Ladder. It is Jacob's Well. And the motto is life in Christ, Christ in life. That is our mission statement. And it comes from this passage here. And so I thought, what a great opportunity to share with you why we name our church that. See, we think Jacob's Well is a great illustration of the church. That Jacob's Well is a place where Jesus is, where people come to meet with Jesus, that they encounter Jesus like this Samaritan woman, that their sin is revealed, and yet the grace and mercy and love of God overpours upon them, and they are transformed by their relationship with Jesus, by their encounter with Jesus. And then they go and engage the city and engage the world, and they tell others about Christ. And they say, you have to come meet this man. Could he be the Christ? And they too come back to the well to encounter Jesus. And they, with you, with me, with us, say, now we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. I don't know what you will do with this passage. This is Jesus rebuking his churchmen, his disciples, for not sharing the good news, for not reaping the harvest. You could choose to ignore this and go on about your life. But this is your food. This is spiritual nourishment for you. And this is the message that will set the fire, set, set the world ablaze. This is the message that will bring Christ into life, that will impact our city, that will transform the city of Green Bay, the city of Appleton. You will not do it well, probably. Your words will probably not be eloquent. You will stumble. You'll be nervous, probably. But because Jesus went to the ultimate price to accomplish this salvation, he calls us to go through this small price of sharing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you call us to an amazing mission to share the good news of Jesus, of how he came and died and rose again, of how we can have eternal life through him. Lord, we pray that we would have a holy boldness, God, that we would leave our footprint in every sphere of life that you call us to, God, that we would not wait and say harvest is down the road, but that we would harvest now, Lord, that we would see so generously that many could come to faith in Christ, that they could encounter him and come and worship him with us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.